Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Welcome to another BritBlitz.com podcast. My name is Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Christine Hartland. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much for inviting me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Now, we're going to do three films that have impacted everything in your life. But first, we're going to talk about your company, Smash Media. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to start first by saying a little bit about my background um, and done short films and feature films. Uh, and the one of the last one you reviewed, actually, um, which was quite exciting, a containment in 2015, 2016. And then uh, so I met uh, Fiona Gillies, also an indie producer on a Creative England market trader uh, mm. scheme. And we were basically sat down on a train journey going how hard it is for filmmakers to get projects off the ground, especially debut features and especially emerging and new voices. And we came up with the idea of My Smash okay. Media. And then I was like, right, we need a tech person on board. And I said to Fiona, I only know one tech person who I'd worked with on a transmedia uh, project uh, in 2010, 2011, and that's Mahesh Ramachandra. And he's a tech uh, expert, and we bribed him with some wine, and he said, it's an excellent <laughs> idea. Let's do something. So we all came together, and um, My Smash Media is basically an IP matchmaking platform okay. for the Industry. And we're starting in the film and TV because that's our background. And what it does, it provides a pitch builder um, and pitch protector for content creators and then connects them with decision makers. And it's free for content creators. Um, we've got about just nearly 2,000 content creators um, and mm -hmm. it's growing, every which is uh, exciting. And what 12% of those are from the US, um, about 13% worldwide, and 75% the majority of okay. the UK, which is quite good because we're global before we even started. So it's kind of a word of mouth. Um, 
what we so it's it's a marketplace we've gone one side the content creators and on the other side we have mm. decision makers and we can them and then we also have a third um type of users which are the service providers and one of our first uh, service that we're providing came from a lot of pain uh, as an indie producer which was to provide sales estimates oh, wow, yeah. part of pitch yeah so um we were faced with talking to private investors going great deck where are your figures and you'd go i haven't got any figures because i don't have a sales agent i can't have a sales agent and they'd go, well, you know, most uh, founders or entrepreneurs, they kind of make their own figures. And you go, yes, but uh, in the film industry, you can't make your own <laughs> figures. I have to have them from a sales agent. And it was a vicious circle. And it was quite frustrating. So that was one of the first service we provide uh, with Hillary Davis, who's formerly Bankside. So she's got a huge amount of experience. Um and we sold quite a few and it's it helps unlock finance but it also empowers you as a filmmaker you know the value of your film so that's for mm. us quite important watching your promo material about about this and let's talk in general terms i was interested by the question how hard can it be to design a a, a winning pitch <laughs> so how hard was it from within the tech side to develop a platform to create a winning pitch for people who are creating stuff? It was definitely challenging. However, what we did is we went to talk to financiers, we went to talk to producers and sales agents to ask them exactly what they needed to know when they receive mm. a pitch. So we, what we tried to do is standardise a film TV yeah. pitch. So... Whether you experience or not experience, at least you're following all the, you're, you're filling in all the information that a decision maker is looking for. And by decision maker, we're talking about, you know, a director who might be looking only mm -hmm. for the script. So it could be the creative elements in the, in the pitch, or it could be a producer looking for a, a project, a financier, sales agent, broadcaster, commissioner. So it, we needed to kind of make sure a writer who would only have the creative elements could just mm -hmm. go on it and pick and feel that they could um, send their URL uh, link to anyone who was interested and they'd have a good idea of, um, of what they were looking for. So what I think is quite interesting is the power of the mm -hmm. log line because I think everyone just reads the log line and then that dictates whether you scroll down or you want to know yeah. a bit more. So I think this is really important to do a really, really good log line. Absolutely. Uh, it's definitely time well spent developing a log line, inviting people's opinion. Uh, as as a writer, obviously, I before we spoke, I did a trial run to see how, not, not that you asked me to, but I've done a trial run and I can definitely say it's easy to navigate and the information you want isn't outlandish. And the great thing I thought about it was, while there are options to put as much as you want, nothing's mandatory in the sense of, if you haven't got it, you get, you don't have to put it in, and therefore you're stalled yeah. not being able to share your project. I, I had no financial plan, so 
there was nothing for me to add there. Yeah. So it didn't say, well, you can't move forward until you have, which, you know, I think I've come yeah. a cropper on that on, a, on other kind of platforms that want, want you to have everything. Whereas obviously from a writing point of view, well, why would I have a financial plan? <laughs> Absolutely. And there's some decision makers when we talk to them and we design um, with them what they like, that they, they share their briefs mm. with us. So it can be as detailed or as vague as they want. And some will request a financial plan. Um, like if you want sales estimates, for example, you of definitely course. need those. But um, others, they're just interested in the creative inputs and that is it. So it does need to be flexible. And as you, you know, and, and I, we all know, you know, you keep going back to your pitch numerous times it mm. keeps growing and as as your team grows you know you'll bring a director producer financier that will again exactly yeah so if i have got a producer who's made me a financial plan or helped me develop one then i can add it at a later date but it doesn't stop me sharing the project within the platform uh, and a, a part a powerful thing that that we've not mentioned yet is your partnership with getty images which i think is a real a real boon for uh, people who want to create something within your platform because creating a nice mood board with access to non-watermark photographs is a, is a positive, you know, it costs me nothing and I get that value. That's quite, I mean, how did you get, how did you generate that for the, for the platform? Yeah, that was really good. Actually, we were really pleased because we, in 2020, we received an Innovate UK grant um, to create what you see at the moment. And then we have private as well um and it was really interesting to talk to getty images because images speaks a thousand words and we're in a visual uh, industry and when they saw what we were trying to do they immediately were like this is brilliant um and what was interesting for me was the fact that you know every time we do pitches or you do mood boards or you know I mean, what the filmmakers I worked with, you always had like that horrible kind of, you know, watermark where it was really yeah, yeah, yeah. and it looked horrible. Um, or if you wanted to do um, a, a kind of little moving video mm. mood board, you know, you had problems. And they were like, for pitch purposes, you can absolutely use it for, you know, high res, etc. Obviously, if you use it in your film or your documentary later on, you have of to course. pay those rights. That's absolutely fine. But at least, you know, if you were to do a documentary and Getty have access to the most, I mean, they've got probably one of the widest mm. range in terms of image uh, and footage. Um, you know, you can kind of do a really good mood boards. And I've seen some where you kind of go, wow, okay, I can see mm. the you know, I can see what it'd be like, and then yeah, if you use those, you just now them. for the certainly for the for the newer writer or the emerging writer, and I mean, I guess new producers even. Um, one of the things about going on a platform which is online and sharing your projects is this is my intellectual property. Why would I want to just be have it hanging around the web? But you have a facility within the creation of the project that you have called Pitch Protector. Do you want to talk about what that is and how that works? Yeah, that was another problem that we came across and also, you know, ourselves is um, 
when you send a PDF to someone, you know, it disappear. Whereas here, um, with our pitch protector, your idea, your pitch, everything is logged in on the mm. platform. So there's a digital footprint. So if you got a documentary um, about dogs and you meet a decision maker who happens to have a similar documentary about dogs, you can assess, you know, and there's a digital kind of um, a track record of yours and they will be able to tell you that they've already got one. So it kind of erases all that sort of, you know, oh, my idea has been stolen. Um, so it, it, it's basically, you know, reassuring both sides of yeah. the market, you know, the decision makers as well as the content creators. And it's free. So it's just being logged. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, it, it, while the fear is on the creation side, actually for the people who are looking for stuff, the assurance of chain of title that this is your original screenplay is as important to establish as soon as you can in a relationship as it is for you to feel my idea and my script is is not just going to get taken and I'll never know about it. So as well as as well as being, a, you know, you submit a project, it's then there for you to be able to share with people. Your platform also has people looking for content and making that known. So I think you refer to that as like shout outs or, or, or something. So do you want to talk about what that, how that works and how that can benefit the creator? So at the moment we're at beta stage um, and we're fundraising to build the other side of the platform, which is the decision maker side of the platform and the matchmaking uh, tool. So currently how it works is uh, our Smash mm -hmm. Cupid talks to decision makers um, and gets a brief from them, and then we share it on the website and on our social media channels. And then people, kind of, uh, all the content creators go on Smash, they create their pitch, and then they share the link to uh, with the Smash Cupid, who then has a mm. little look and then shares it with the decision makers so that's how it works it's a manual yeah process at the moment but hopefully it will be uh, that's why we're fundraising at the minute to make it um automate more automated and to support the smash okay Cupid. so yeah it's very um manually intense shall we say fair enough fair enough so if that's if that's the kind of basic offering of what people can get now, um, somebody coming to it fresh, we've talked about the basic components. I mean, I've not we haven't actually prepared for this, but just thinking about maybe maybe a top. Given what you've learned so far with the platform, with people coming on, successes and failures, you know, people making strides, people getting nothing. Do you, do you have like a maybe top three tips about how people can help themselves when they present their projects on the platform? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think what we were, what we are hoping is by the fact that they have a template, they're actually already sort of um, clearer about mm. their projects of what it is and not forgetting key elements, which, you know, I mean, as a producer, we've, I mean, I still do receive loads of pitches and you kind of go, I have no idea what it is, you know, at the end of, and it's a big PDFs, 
you know, or big emails. So it is quite interesting. And even when you pitch verbally often, you know, it's easy to forget sometimes your name even, you know, and what you do and who you are. I've been, I've been there, Christine. I've been there. <laughs> We've all been there. Um, so it's trying to reduce that. Um, log line i think is really really mm-hmm. important um, and that we've realized because some of the decision makers will kind of that will be their first yeah. port of call um and um yeah basically it's uh i think those two elements yeah. are really important okay yeah and obviously have a good story indeed indeed i mean do, do you do you have any do you have any sort of is there any guidance available about what makes a good log line or is anything like that that you can point people to? Is there any? Yes, we did actually. We did a webinar with uh, Lucy Hay from Bang to Write. I know Lucy, yes. Yeah, and she did a um, a little session with us about mm. log line on our YouTube channel. We've got a link. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes so people listening to this can go to that straight after. And I think that'd be really useful. Yeah. Um, well, look, thank you very much for sharing my Smash Media, introducing us to that. It sounds very exciting, and it sounds sounds interesting in the sense of um, you've thought of a lot of it, and and like like I'd say for the listeners' benefit, having gone through the process of putting the project on, the the template makes it easy for you to know what's needed. Because uh, mm. I mean, I mean, and you know, title genre. I mean, it's so it, it, it it's so obvious to put that at the top, but Obviously, if you're not really know if you don't know what you're doing, you can get carried away with presenting lots of information. And this pitch deck might on page 15 end up saying, Oh, by the way, the title's this and it's a horror film. Whereas somebody's had to drudge through lots of stuff. Whereas you want your audience to go, Oh, right, I'm looking for a horror film. It's a horror film. Tick. Let me see the log line. Ooh, tick. And then the detail becomes about is it something I'm really interested in? But first and foremost, people's time and effort is about trying to get through as much as possible to find the gold and the gems because, you know, inevitably there are thousands of things knocking about and they're not all good. Absolutely, yeah. And we've made some um, matches and also uh, really good mm. connections with our current decision makers. So it is exciting and it's kind of still the beginning of a journey, but we're moving, you know, forward. It, it, it's good to see how it's evolved. It's kind of a bit similar to a film. <laughs> Yeah, production. To be fair, yeah, Fiona and I are surprisingly quite at ease with some of the elements. You know, um, resilience, <laughs> which we all have to have as we do. makers and content. Persistence yeah. and consistency are going to be everyone's best skills. Absolutely. <laughs> well, look, thanks for sharing that. Uh, and as promised, we're gonna we're gonna jump into. Christine's three films that have impacted everything in your adult life. Uh, just to give people a heads up for those coming to the podcast for the first time, uh, Christine has given me three titles, which are, are films important to her or hold important memories. And we're going to talk about each film for five minutes. And when the five minutes are up, we'll move on to the next film. Does that make sense to you, Christine? Yeah, it does. Perfect. Right, I'm going to do this. I'm just breaking the fourth wall for a second now, because as far as I know, um, for some reason, Zoom is clever enough to cut out the bell on my countdown timer. So you can hear me talking now, can't you? Perfectly well, right? 
Hopefully you'll hear this. Otherwise, I'm going to have to wave my arms like I've been doing recently. So this is a recent phenomenon. I don't know when it when it developed this skill, but uh, so. No, is it ringing? Can you hear nothing? No. Okay, there's like a DEFCON one bell going off. That's to, that's to save people who've not turned their phones on silent. Exactly, it? but it's it's fucking amazing that it can differentiate me talking to you from a kind of pitch of a I, mean, I don't know if it's the same if I do it as a different noise yeah let me try can you hear that as well stargaze summit yeah. see that's amazing so it's kind of deciphered all the ring tones oh well I guess it's deciphering electronic from organic oh yeah yeah I guess and that's what it's doing but it's fucking annoying because for years I've been able to. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Just play an alarm at my end, and you need one of those, and, it, and it's coming. Yeah, and it's come. Well, one of these days, I'll be able to link in a website that'll do it, so we'll both hear at the same time. But uh, what I'll do is, I'm still gonna have the alarm at my end because then I get, yeah, I get it at my end, and it's recorded at my, my microphone here. Although you hear him on the webcam, I'm recording to this microphone, so it'll pick it up. What I'll do is, I will do this when we reach five. You'll see me. Now you can finish your thought and yeah. and all them kind of things. We're not. It's not like a strict shut up, but it's more. It's more that we just get to spend five minutes talking about why each one's important, as opposed to fifteen minutes on one, and then we just throw you the titles out at the end. Does that sound okay? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Right, clock's ticking. First film on your list, Christine, is the neo noir psychological horror film adapted from William Holzberg's novel Fallen Angel and written and directed by Alan Parker. I'm talking about 1987's Angel Heart. Where does that fit in, in your film memories and your film education? Well, I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I, I was kind of brought up uh, watching a lot of Hitchcocks. And weirdly now, watching thrillers or psychological horrors mm. do freak me out. I'm not the best person. I am the one who just goes, can we fast forward? <laughs> Uh, this one had a massive impact. I mean, Alan Parker's films had a massive impact. Uh, Midnight Express, Birdie. Uh, but Angel Heart, also, I have to admit, I had a big crush, obviously. On Mickey Rourke? I mean, it wouldn't have been... You were, you were unusual in 1987 uh, to say that. So that could be partly why. Mm -hmm. um, but the story uh, was very clever i thought and you just didn't see the twist mm. and it kind of leaves you like in shock horror um but it was quite brutal um and um yeah i've got images i've never seen it since seriously and I don't think I could. yeah i don't think i could actually which is uh, a strange thing to say yeah no well well i, I must admit there's films that i know i'm gonna love and i don't want to have watched them and then there's films that I love, like like you're talking about, Angela. 
where if I watch again, do I muddy the memory of what it, what impact it had at the time? I mean, it's interesting you say the twist because the twist is brilliant. Now, I think we mm. can talk in spoiler terms about a film that's 35 years old. Um, but you've got a character called Harry Angel, Mickey Rourke's thing, and you've got a character called Louis Cipher. I mean, mm. it couldn't have been... Uh, but none of us saw it coming. At the, I mean, it was like, we weren't reading the film going, obviously Louis Cipher's the devil. <laughs> so that's really interesting because I, I only uh, realised much, much later on because uh, I would have... I think I would have seen it Maybe in VO in English. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I would have seen it in VO, actually. I was watching films in VO. But I was in France. I was brought up in France. Okay. And even though my dad was English, I wasn't fluent in English. I wasn't bilingual. Okay. So I wondered whether all the French, and me included, would have missed out. And the English-speaking people would have actually seen that coming no no i'm, I'm saying that weirdly yeah. i think i think because when you watch a film you know i mean it sounds when you say it after the fact yeah it feels the most bleeding obvious thing in the world yeah and you kind of and me as a writer now i'm thinking there's no way i'd get away with it but yeah within the movie i think if you when you watch the film back now it almost sounds like louis sapphire you know you can so if you're not yeah. listening for L lucifer yeah you wouldn't pick it up. You wouldn't yeah. pick it up originally. It's only like after the fact you go, oh my God. So, you know, it's like when you rewatch Sixth Sense, you know, the twist is there all the way through the film. It just doesn't yeah. tell you. Yeah. And then you yeah, can yeah. rewatch the film and, and enjoy it for what it is. So, I mean, that's interesting. Just what you watch in English, an English language film growing up in a bilingual house, but not quite bilingual yourself. So, in what way was, was English language film becoming important to you then at that point? In what way, sorry, what... In what um, way was English-language films becoming sort of... I guess my dad, he took us to, I mean, Hitchcock. It was all VOs. Um, yeah. And there was, there's, I mean, uh, weirdly, there's only one film French because I was, I was wondering uh, of the three, I was like, these are the three. And then I was like, oh, maybe I should have two French. <laughs> Which one would be the other one? And then the other one actually isn't French anyway. It's Polish, but I assumed it was French because it had French actors. So it's quite interesting how you suddenly go, well, you know, it in English is kind of out there and in in cinema, mm. and we watch a lot of. English. I didn't have the TV. Uh, my parents didn't want the TV, so okay. I went to the cinema instead. Um, probably more than most I would have thought and definitely watching a lot of uh, English films and that could have been because of my dad. But but also as well, because I mean, one of the things that from an English person you're kind of jealous of with, with, the, um, with the French language is that you've got a clear differentiation between France cinema and American cinema, whereas obviously UK and American cinema, they share a common language, therefore... The barrier between the two doesn't exist, Absolutely. and then you know domestic stuff can exist. Um, and I'm thinking, what was my point of saying that? Um, but it just, I just think that maybe in 1987 there wasn't the the um, the expectation that everyone understands English like that. Whereas I think 35 years on, you know, the more I go to Europe, the less the need to be able to speak another language 
becomes on you that in the late 80s you would have had to have been able to you do some French or some German if you were in even the biggest cities. Whereas yes. it feels like now, you know, for, for better or for worse, the mm. American English language that's permeated media, the internet, means that the, the, the ubiquity of English language is even more than it ever was. We shall move on to your French selection <laughs> for, for your film number one. Best foreign film nominee at the Oscars, losing to the Dutch film The Assault for the big prize. Uh, the director's cut of this film was added to the Criterion Collection in 2019, which was interesting to learn. Uh, I'm talking about Betty Blue from 1986. So you as a as a, French, a young French woman then, what was what does Betty Blue mean? How does that, how does that fit? Where, how do you see it? Um, so uh, the title in French is not Betty Blue. It's and it took me years to put the two together uh, because it's called. It, I mean, the direct translation is 37. 0.5 degrees in the morning. That's what which the, I've just learned from from doing a yeah. bit of research today. Like that, it's not Betty Blue. <laughs> yeah, quite interesting. But the the why it's got a massive impact is I was with a very very good school friend of mine, and we had no idea what we were going to see. Really, so okay. We knew that we had to go and see it because it came out, and there was clearly a big sort of PR publicity. And so this was a Zeitgeist moment in France, this film. That was on 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 release that week. Yeah. You know. Um and if you just go back in time in the 80s uh in France, a lot of the cinemas had um you know one room that was for erotic films. Porn mm. erotic, you know, yeah. and it was one of those things. Anyway, we uh, got in like it had already started. Not not the film had already started, but there was adverts already. So okay. we, we we sat down, saw the last few adverts, and then the opening scene is so raunchy that we both looked at each other and went, oh, my God, we're in the wrong room. We're in the, you know... This is not the film we want to go and see, clearly, because it was just so explicit. And then, you know, we realised that we were in the right room. <laughs> and we were like, Jesus, you know, and we're talking teenage, yeah. you know, and it was like a real sort of wow. And then the whole mental illness, the character of uh, Betty Blue, you know, um, the acting is amazing. Mm. It was really raw. I mean, everything was just like, it, it was just unbelievable, mm. you know. Um, and I think it kind of stayed. Um, I mean, again, it was quite violent. I would not choose to see these kind of films right now. I'm not sure I could think. It was quite like, wow, okay. Um, what do you, so, what yeah. do you remember about Beatrice Dow being sort of, a, you know, that's just her big screen debut, wasn't it? So, yes, it was. Yeah. So how and much of a star that, was she, like, in this moment from a French point of view? She was massive. She was everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I remember her being everywhere. And then it's only a few years later that I realised that she didn't actually had a great career. Actually, I haven't really Googled it. I should have Googled it before the podcast because I'm not sure she, 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 
she had the career that she possibly could have. No, the promise yeah. of what what this film yeah. gave, you know, this beautiful yeah. French woman in a in a in a film that I mean, in a way, looking at it from a UK point of view, that's interesting that you were like, oh, God, how shocking is this? Because I, I think we're not too dissimilar in age. And um and for me, it's like this is what French cinema's like, you know, as a differentiation from, you know, I it's not, you know, 1986 is not that long after the death of things like Carry On, you know, and, and Kiss Me Quick and all that nonsense that is very much the the British mm-hmm. attitude towards sex, which is, ooh, yeah. you know, and yeah. therefore suddenly this confident, I mean, with the with the mental illness element to it as well, where you've kind of got this existential stuff alongside this, what appeared to be as graphic a, as graphic mm-hmm. as sexual portrayal as you can do in the mainstream cinema. You were like, yeah. well, that's what French do. Because the reason I ask about how iconic or how popular it was is because, this is very much a cult film in the UK, but it, but also in every student house, even going into the 90s, the Betty Blue poster yeah. was a yeah. kind of, you know, nod to some pretentious thing. You know, there'd be an Albert Camus book on the bloody table and then some other beat poet or something. You kind of go, you'd set your stall out. You could almost like dress your room to be, look at me, I'm an intellectual me, look at me. So, I mean, yeah. in, in France, does does... Does Betty Blue have that place at all, or is it just a big successful film? No, I think it. I think it has got. Actually, that would be interesting to. Um, I, I've never asked my uh, school friends years later, mm. but I mean, I think it is a, a a film that when you were a teen, when you watched it, I mean, we. I would have been uh, seventeen, so not eighteen. I'm mm. suspecting it was an eighteen in the yeah, UK. yeah, 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 yeah. Without a doubt, definitely not. In France, which already because does. but the reason because I, I interviewed Julia Ducournau when Tatane came out on the podcast, and it was interesting talking to her about American genre, about American genre, and um, and and it really was like for her that stuff was excite was as exciting coming into France as French art house cinema coming to the UK would be to me and my peers because I guess it's that whole thing about you know the Marlboro cigarette is exotic in France and the Gitane is a is exotic when you when you're in Britain. You know, you just kind of this other this other culture that you're trying to you don't quite understand, but it's exciting because you don't because you're going oh god, it's associated with all these things. Yeah, but I think it's it would have marked all teenagers at the time, definitely. Well, it's something. I mean, I'm, I will be. Uh, I'm going to look into this after we finish talking. Uh, so, <laughs> moving swiftly along to our, your third and final choice, this. Breathtaking film tackles questions of love, life, and metaphysics. It won Vin Benders, the best director at Cannes in 87. I'm talking about Wings of Desire from 1987. Do you want to talk us through this gentle film? <laughs> Your yes, three. A bit, more, uh, phew, a bit more gentle. I thought I'd finish on, <laughs> on something a bit less traumatic. Um, yes, I, I was very um, taken by Wings of Desire. And also it was kind of, very poetic hmm. um, and really beautiful and I just loved everything about it really and I think yeah maybe you know when you're a teenager uh, at the time you know the romance of it and the fallen angel and all of that and strangely enough I had forgotten that it was um, you know the one of the main character the trapeze artist was set in a circus hmm. It's only um, afterwards, because I I was working with, uh, or still am working with, a writer-director 
whose film is set in a circus. Okay. And I was always fascinated. And I wondered whether, you know, unconsciously, suddenly, you know, Wings of Desire was kind of kicking in mm. or something. Kind of quite interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was always kind of very beautiful and just very poetic. And what what about what particularly about the film do you do you remember grabbing it when you first watched it? The 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 play with the colours. Mm. So what's kind of interesting with actually all those films, they all have very, for me, very vivid visual memories, mm. you know, from dark but very uh stylized as well and and motifs in angel heart and you know with betty blue it was very sort of punchy and bright and very but that's my memory if i'd seen them again i might just go really um and vim vendors was you know it had black and white and it was in berlin um and it had that kind of a bit of grimness but Equally, there was kind of that beautiful kind of love story as well, and which I, I thought was really nice. And also, you've got in and amongst all the European acting stars, you've got Peter Falk, an Amer- you know, a, a man known for playing a bumbling detective in a, a long-running TV show. I mean, he's, he's more than that, but certainly in 1987, yeah. that's how people would have recognised him. For him, I wouldn't have recognised him. Ah, okay. So that I think this is really interesting because a lot of people say when you you know an actor in a series, you know, and then you see them playing something completely different. Sometimes it can jar because mm. people expect them to play the same role. Yeah. And so I wouldn't have. I mean, I might have seen a couple of episodes of Columbo, but definitely wouldn't have had that kind of prejudice or kind of going, oh, you know, he's the detective. Interestingly no, enough, but but it, but it, but because he plays such a different role, even if you do, even if you did know him, it's sort of it's so different than what you do. Obviously, that's the skill of an actor, but it is just interesting seeing that. And and like you say, the play between the black and white and the color. Um, so, I mean, I'm fascinated to know in terms of this being a you know a can best director film, you being in France, is that is that because obviously in, when I was in, when, when this comes out in England. I don't know it's a, it's a winner at Cannes. And obviously, I'm, I'm older now and I've been to Cannes a few times, so I know understand the importance of being best director at Cannes. But is it is that a film you know of, as, as, as that when you see it? No, I wouldn't have had uh, any clue, to be fair. Okay. I was, I was literally, um, I think my film, my, my going to the cinema were kind of friends, my parents, my dad specifically, mm. um, and not really on, you know, I, I wasn't really into the film industry. I never thought I was going to end up in the film industry. Mm. It was kind of one of those industry that is like very, very far away. Um, so it would have been advertising and friends going, you know, you go, you've got to go and okay. see it. I just, I just wondered if, if news of Cannes Film Festival was something that you would pick up as a friend. Just as a, as a French person looking for, you know, you know of it. Yeah. yeah, you definitely know of it. It's around. Yeah, um, it wouldn't have been a focus point. Okay. Yeah. And do you, is is there a particular scene that stands out in your memory from when you saw it that you that you even if it's a kind of warped version of history in terms of it's just what your memory is? 
I, th I mean, the images that stood out, and I don't, I don't, I think it may be more because it's the one that you see when you go on the internet is the classic one of him being, you know, the clock. Yeah, 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 clock. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that I, you, you have. I mean, it could be more because of it's the repetitive, you know, it's the, it's the memory we're given of the film all the time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, look, that's your uh, your five minutes of your third film up. Uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts and memories on. Uh, uh, Angel Heart, Betty Blue, and uh, Wings of Desire. Uh, I will put links in the show notes to my Smash Media and the various other things we mentioned that was a link. So, for example, Lucy Hayes' logline thing and stuff. Um, but it just gives me to say thank you very much for being on the podcast. Well, you're very welcome. y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.